Hey guys, and welcome to episode 42 of Underrated, a show where we talk about films that are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and sadly, today James Hamrick will not be uh, joining me. He uh, obviously thinks he's too good for us or something. But I went and found someone even better. So today we are joined by MJ Smith from the Before and After Show. How are you doing, MJ? Hey, good. How are you, man? Pretty good. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so today as the guest, uh, it will be your pick. What will we be looking at this week? Um, this week we're going to be talking about The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, a film whose title it takes almost as long to say as it does to watch. Yes. <laughs> and uh, before we move on, I'm going to let you... Uh, just introduce yourself and uh, whatever shows or things you might have online. Oh, man. Okay. So I am all over the internet. Um, I have a podcast called The Before and After Show. It's um, kind of the base, the elevator pitch is that we get our inherent expectations and biases about uh, whoever's involved with the movie and their track record, et cetera, et cetera, out before we watch the movie. And then we come back and talk about uh, what we thought of the movie post uh seeing it obviously um and then i'm on a youtube show called real perspective and that is just kind of a macro level look at kind of whatever we want to talk about really um it's usually related to what's going on in the film uh world so this last episode we talked about uh, quote is disney ruining movies and i know it's a clickbaity title (laughs) but uh yeah that's what we talked about given the shakeups with the han solo film and then I write for KeithLovesMovies.com. I write reviews there. And then I write news and reviews for WordOfTheNerd.com. So I am busy in all corners of the internet. Nice. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to your podcast yet, but I, I did really enjoy watching your YouTube channel. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, so I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please t- just take a moment to um, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, it doesn't have to be a lot. Just a few words and five stars would really be helpful. Um, so before we move on, uh, we usually like to uh, talk about maybe any recent films we've seen. Uh, is there any that you've seen that you want to mention? Yeah, um, I actually just yesterday, uh, at the time of this recording, sat through all three new Planet of the Apes films. Um, nice. Yeah, so it was a seven-hour experience in a theater, um, which was which was really cool. It was really cool. To see all three of them on the big screen, you know, the first two again on the big screen and the new one for the first time. And man, those things are good. Like, well, well, I, I don't think you've seen the third one yet, Gabriel. No, but I, that's going yeah. to tonight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I'll, I'll, probably, I'll probably see it after recording. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, but I won't say anymore. Uh, those first two, man, are so flipping good. Yeah, I also rewatched both of them. Uh, I, I I like the second one probably significantly more, but the first one just for how unlikely it is that that a re- another another reboot of of a Planet of the Apes could actually be like you know a really smart, thoughtful uh, blockbuster is is quite impressive. Yeah, it is, and like James Franco's really good in that movie, which is not something I say often. Yeah, he's such a he's such a weird like I, I don't like his comedies, but. If you look at his IMDb, IMDb page, he has like 37 directing credits where he just goes off and directs these tiny little dramas on his own. Mm-hmm. And he's he's actually a good dramatic actor. I just don't know why. I guess he does the comedies to pay for that or something. Yeah, it's, it's it seems like he's got one of those like George Clooney, one for them, one for me models. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, he's he's definitely good. And it is, it, I, the structure is interesting, you know, where it kind of shifts from him to the ape. And I think mm-hmm. it, it does make the film feel a little cold and clinical and hard and be hard for me to emotionally invest in, but it's still just really smart. Um, and, and Dawn is just incredible. Um, Golly, man. It, it's so weird that this thing is uh, like it's this completely unnecessary reboot of this uh, film about, uh, you know, monkeys taking over the world is like the most intelligent and human blockbuster we've had in like forever. Yeah, and like no one ever talks about it until these movies come around, which is really strange to me. Yeah, I I really wonder if it's kind of the, the lack of human characters kind of, I mean, it, not that the apes are bad characters, maybe it's just it kind of creates a disconnect that it, it, it makes it more difficult for people to engage or something. Yeah, that might have something to do with it. Uh, yeah, uh, did you see anything else? Um, I... I've been watching uh, the Castlevania television series on Netflix. Anime show or something? Yeah, it's kind of an anime. It's it's 
I'm not sure the, the studio behind it, but it's it's got a lot of Western people involved. So it's written by Warren Ellis, who's a novelist, and uh, uh, Adi Shankar um, produced it, who's behind Dread. And I don't know if you saw that, like, the Power Rangers dark gritty thing that was on YouTube before they got almost sued over it. No, I never um, got to see it. Okay. So he's the producer behind that. He did that Thomas Jane Punisher short, Dirty Laundry, as well. Okay. Um, it's not good. <laughs> but it's only four episodes long and less than 100 minutes. Uh, but it's also the least efficient 100 minutes I think I've ever experienced. Okay. Glowing recommendation. Yeah, it's. Uh, I have one episode left and I'm going to finish it just because it's there. But I'm not super looking forward to it. Um, I am a casual fan of the property Castlevania. It's a video game. Okay. And uh, maybe your mileage may vary if you're a huge diehard Castlevania video game fan. But for someone who kind of has a cursory knowledge in it, I did not find too much to like outside of the animation is really, really great. Yeah, I like, saw some random teasers on Facebook and was like, whoa, that, that's definitely pretty. Yeah, yeah. Like every time fire happens, it's kind of jaw dropping. <laughs> but other than that, it just it's just like super edgy for the sake of being edgy for no real reason <laughs> anything else um no i think that's it all right uh, the only other one i saw was the uh nicholas Ca- nicholas cage remake of gone in 60 seconds okay and it's not good <laughs> i <laughs> it's it's one of those like movies where i there's like nothing like horrifically bad but it's like mm-hmm. nothing was done right it just feels like really just boring and badly paced. The characters, like the characters couldn't even manage to be, you know, like fun caricatures. They're just like boring caricatures. And uh, the editing like is really poor. I th- like there's no sense of tension or momentum, which is kind of, you know, the heart and soul of uh, a good heist film. So it just ends up being rather limp. Uh, then the ending turns into like a Fast and Furious movie, which is fun. It's the best part of the film, but it just feels like it's a different plane, uh, level of reality than the last hour that's been leading up to mm. it. I, it's, I, I wanted to like it, but yeah, it was just kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid, so I can't really comment on it. But I assume, especially in the light of, you know, movies that have done it, that almost that formula is so much better, like the Fast and Furious franchise or... Uh, you know, Baby Driver, even, it's got to be pretty bottom of the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it was a bit like uh, the uh, the Mark Wahlberg Italian Job remake, which, which is actually a solid film. Right. Uh, it just, it didn't hit. All right, uh, so is there anything else you want to mention before we move into the uh, main topic? Uh, no, I think that's it, man. All right, let's begin our review for The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Man. The movie with way too long of a title was released in 2007. It was written and directed by Andrew Dominic on a budget of 30 million, and it only grossed 15 million. Like, for some weird reason, it didn't light the box office on fire. I, I just don't get it. Uh, it stars Casey Affleck, Brad Pitt, Sam Rockwell, Jeremy Renner, Mary Louise Parker, Sam Shepard, Paul Schneider, uh, Garrett Dillahunt, and an almost unrecognizable Zoe Deschanel shows up as well. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I didn't even know it was her. I was like, I thought she was in this movie. I had to go look her up. Um, the score was composed by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, and it was shot by the incredible uh, Roger Deakins, which he was nominated for an Academy Award, and, and very rightfully so. Yes. And I'm going to get you to read a synopsis, uh, MJ. Okay. Robert Ford, who's idolized Jesse James since childhood, tries hard to main- to join the reforming gang of the Missouri Outlaw, but gradually becomes resentful of the bandit leader. Um, so MJ, what made you want to talk about this movie on here? Um, one, not having seen it in about 10 years. Um, definitely. But I, I think, and we'll get into, you know, the nooks and crannies of this in a second. The movie isn't great. Um, but there's some really interesting kind of wild stuff that happens in it. And there's some like really good performances and it looks amazing. I think that, that, that is really what stuck in my head is there just there are certain shots of this movie 
that whenever I think of great cinematography, those are kind of the first things that bubble into my head, obviously, because Roger Deakins. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know Roger Deakins had shot it. And as soon as that we had that shot of uh, Jesse James framed against the uh, lights from the train, I immediately mm-hmm. paused and like, who shot this movie? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it is a really gorgeous film. Some things I liked outside of the incredible cinematography, I really like Brad Pitt in this movie. Um, he is this kind of... He's, he's super paranoid about everything, but he's super justified about everything, all his paranoia in the end. Um, and that's kind of a fascinating deconstruction of the idol of Jesse James, right? You know, he was this folk hero, but the, this film portrays him as it kind of takes the mask off of that and, and really gets into how someone who is that beloved in the public eye for crime would actually be. Interesting. So I, I've only seen it once. I've, I've probably missed some things. It is a, but I th- I had him down as yeah I, I t- completely agree that that Brad Pitt is excellent, but I kind of had him down as maybe one of my negatives. Just it felt like that even though he is on screen for a long a lot of the film, I never felt like I got to know him as a person. Yeah, like beyond the paranoia, it felt like like I, I had ha- I had him figured out a half hour into the film, and as we kept seeing him, I, I was expecting you know are we going to finally get to figure out who this guy is? And I I never felt the film did that. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a deliberate choice in the fact that I don't know that anyone truly knew the real Jesse James outside of maybe his wife, who uh, does not get enough to do (laughs) in the film. (laughs) Um, I think, I think some scenes with her would have helped to uh, flesh that out a little bit, but I also, I understand where you're coming from, but I also think that um, this movie is very much seen through the eyes of Robert Ford. And I think that might be how Robert Ford felt and ultimately why he ended up growing to resent Jesse James so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, watching this film, you uh, you get the feeling that every single thing that is shown is deliberate. Yes. Which I, which I guess so, like my, the things I love are definitely deliberate and probably the things I don't like were also deliberate choices. So I, I I definitely kind of I respect the choices he made, and they are all very intriguing. I mean, let's just let's just stay on the positives. Uh, obviously, then there's a uh, Casey Affleck as Robert Ford. This is a pretty incredible performance. I mean, he does a fantastic uh, you know creep, which is he might have practice in real life, but uh, <laughs> yeah. talk about that. Uh, I was just really impressed also with how subtly his character grew. You know. He just starts off just completely – he has absolutely no control of himself. You know, he – everyone just kind of doesn't like him to trust him just because he's so cloying and uh, almost kind of pathetic. And he, while he never really grows into a confident person, you can see he kind of takes to heart the way people view him, the way they talk about him. Until by, by the end of the film, he's sort of come into his own in some way or another. And I thought it was, it, and it wasn't, it was never sudden. It just kind of happened in little stages throughout the film to where it's actually a really solid performance and character throughout. Yeah, I agree. I think that he, he makes an interesting choice with him where he rides this line between maybe deliberately creepy, but also maybe borderline Asperger's autistic, but they didn't really know what that was in the time period. So he was very misunderstood. Um, and the way Casey Affleck walks down that line is great. Um, he he was nominated for an Oscar for this movie as Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, well, supporting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know why they chose to run him as supporting actor, but I think that's one of the more the the political decision uh, than anything. So is Brad Pitt supposed to be the main one? I guess so, because <laughs> he's got at least twice as much screen time as Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you get have you seen nightcrawler i've seen part of nightcrawler like i was getting like some uh like low bloom vibes from you know this except for lacking all the kind of confidence and composure he had there's like you know a very ambitious person who just 
who's like tr- you know trying to insert himself into situations that just kind of s- repulses everyone around him. Yeah, just kind of like ambitious, but also a sociopath, like a pretty hardcore one at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have another cast you want to mention? Uh, yeah, uh, Sam Rockwell. He's always I. I I have a super huge soft spot for Sam Rockwell. He's just great to me. He, I'll watch basically anything Sam Rockwell (laughs) is in. Um, And he doesn't get a ton to do, um, but he gets, he gets a couple moments that are really great. He's got a great scene at the dinner table when he tells um, Jesse James a story about Robert Ford when he was a kid um, and his obsession with Robert Ford. And he gets a really great one-on-one scene with Brad Pitt um, when Brad Pitt is trying to suss out whether or not um, they killed Jeremy Renner's character. That like scene when, is, when he wakes him up in the middle of the night? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that scene's really good. And then the whole epilogue, uh, I think, is really Sam Rockwell's time to shine. Yeah, I I really liked him here. Um, and I, li- I liked the character. It It's weird because... Like, ostensibly, he's the dumb one, you know, the idiot brother. Mm-hmm. But as the film goes on, I think he might be the smartest, most self-aware person in the film. <laughs> Just kind of bumbling, but also very into what's going on. Yeah, he like he's, he seems to be constantly understanding the landscape and and try and also always trying to diffuse whatever current crisis we're in, you know, by playing the idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just—I th- I think he—he's easily you know, the most sympathetic character in the film. Oh yeah, uh, this movie—the characters are impossible to root for. Like they're all awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Kind of to build off of the characters being terrible, I do not have a tolerance for cynicism in film whatsoever so when a cynical movie can kind of get under my skin in a good way it really stands out to me and i think this is one of them um another example i always go to is sicario it's a really cynical movie Mm -hmm. uh but i really like how it does its cynicism and i feel the same way here like it doesn't make me feel good like as a person (laughs) but i think it's very well executed in what it's trying to accomplish like it, it sets its goal and really gets there yeah, I'm, I'm about the same. It's funny. When you mentioned a cynical movie, I, I immediately thought Sicario before you said it. <laughs> and it's the same. I, I don't like it. Unless you know, it has something to say, like an observation about humanity, then I can I can usually tolerate it. And yeah. the, the film's you know, exploration of you know, celebrity, and it, it, was, it's, it felt like it was trying to you know, make a very intriguing parallel to modern celebrity culture, but still without ever breaking the lens of this uh, 19th century world that it was in, uh, it, it was very, very uh, just interesting, you know, how it, it showed like people can turn from villains to heroes or someone who was celebrated one time can kind of, as the public perception changes, become the villain, whether or not they deserve to be. Uh, it just, it left me a lot to chew on in that, in that area. Yeah, I agree. It actually, um, have you seen a movie, an Australian movie from 2005 called The Proposition with Guy Pierce? No. Um, it's very much that. Uh, it's actually, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Nick Cave did the, sc- the, the score for this movie. Uh, Nick Cave actually wrote The Proposition. He's a musician, um, okay. but he's, he's written a couple screenplays. Um, his music is really dark and cynical, um, but... Uh, so Nick Cave wrote the proposition and it's it's kind of a, a Western set in Australia back when it was kind of a prison island. Um, mm-hmm. It's got him, it's got Guy Pearce, Danny Houston and Ray Winstone. It's really good, but it's also like it's all it's darker than even Assassination of Jesse James. Um, wow. But it's another one of my favorite cynical movies. <laughs> um, and, and I think it pairs really well with that. Um Proposition is very nihilistic, very nihilistic. It's almost borderline like anti-people by the end of it. Mm-hmm. And Assassination of Jesse James is it's it's not as nihilistic, but it's it's a very big it's very big on like kill your idols kind of. 
I mean, in a very literal sense, obviously, <laughs> in the case of Robert Ford, yeah. but even, you know, metaphorically, like that's that's what he has to do in order to kind of move on with his life. And ultimately, he never like he had moved on by killing Jesse James, but the public would not let him. Interesting. Well, he, he, it, I don't. Could you say he moved on because he kind of the, the, it seemed like he was kind of milking it for all it was worth? That's true. I mean, it's it's. Right. He was able to the only way to usurp Jesse James in the public eye is to kill be the man who killed Jesse James. And he uh, he does that, obviously, and then exploits that he becomes what he hated. Hmm. So do you, you think he, he actually hated James? I think mm, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I think it and I think it would be hard to say for him uh based on the portrayal in the film at least. I think it depended on the day. Um I think I think maybe by the may, I think on the day it happened the way it's portrayed in the movie, it, it was more out of desperation than anything because Jesse James found out about, you know, Dick Little's uh arrest and confession. Mm-hmm. But I think by the end, you know, when you see kind of what and I guess this could be his actions more than the the actual, you know, Jesse James proper. But by the end, when you see the guy singing the ballad of Jesse James in the bar, who is actually Nick Cave. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you see him singing in the bar and he just is he's just overhearing about Jesse James and the coward Robert Ford. You know, he's he's it's it's this real big trigger for him. And it's directly tied to Jesse James because of what he did. So I think it, it could go either way, depending on his mood that day and his level of sobriety. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of wish I got a chance to see this film twice, although I, I, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure I actually want to sit through it twice. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, for a film this kind of thoughtful and, you know, con- contemplative, it, it, it's, it is kind of hard for me to, you know, try, try to suss out whatever themes it has with only one viewing. And just, I do want to talk about just the filmmaking style. I mean, obviously, as we mentioned, Robert, I mean, Roger Deakins is insane. The, like the shots he gets of just people standing in rippling grain. Yeah. <laughs> There's I could so just much watch that. that forever. Yeah, man. It's so good. There are so many just. Like I said, it's when someone mentions great cinematography, there are several shots from this film that just pop up to my brain in, in my brain. Um, the shot of him, like you said, in front of the train, that whole sequence where the train's pulling up and you see the light of the train through the trees is just mm-hmm. I mean, like going over the people standing there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so great. And then just the shots of Jesse James at the beginning when they're building up the mythical Jesse James and they're they're talking about how he had granulated eyeballs so he blinked more than anyone and it's just kind of still shots of Brad Pitt standing in the middle of a field <laughs> and they're they're jaw dropping yeah this film is so you know just so dang slow that i think that if it weren't um, I mean, obviously, Dominic Extraction is, is good as well, but if it weren't Deacon shooting these images, I, I don't know that this film would have actually worked. Yeah, uh, I was thinking the same thing. Um, have you seen his follow-up, uh, Killing Them Softly? No. Also, really good from what I remember. <laughs> um, I, I heard people hated that. People did hate it. I liked it, but I also, at the time I saw it, I didn't. I hadn't rewatched Jesse James. Uh, I've only actually counting the time I've seen it for this podcast. I've only seen the film twice because it is it's a long haul, man. (laughs) Um, But I remember liking Jesse. I remembered liking Jesse James and kind of wondering where that guy went because he did do a good job directing the movie forever long or slow or, uh, you know, um, methodical. It was it's it's a well made movie Mm -hmm. and. So I remember specifically seeking this movie out. It really reminded me a lot of a movie you guys have done on here, um, Out of the Furnace. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but it's 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 much shorter. It's like an hour and fifty minutes, I think. It is just as slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so just. You know, the first like five minutes, I was like, there are a lot of shots of people just looking at each other between the actual dialogue. <laughs> 
Um, and it, it's weird because it does lull you into the film and it, it, it both engrosses you in what you're seeing, but also just like, yep, there's a lot of staring. Oh, he yeah. blinked. Okay. Maybe you cut now. Oh, okay. You got something else to say? All right. It's just, it's such a weird, it's so weirdly absorbing yet also sort of boring sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it can be kind of off-putting, which I think is maybe, you know, we talked about the deliberate uh, choices that this movie makes and the movie makes a lot of deliberate choices, um, but we're never fully going to be able to suss out the artist's intent 100% without just asking them about it. Mm-hmm. And so my guess about that is this isn't Jesse James when he's, you know, the James gang. This is the twilight years of the Jess- of the James gang. And the the movie says that they'd either all been arrested or killed at that point. And so he's trying to rebuild. So mm-hmm. it's just like, it's this weird group dynamic of a bunch of people just trying to get to know each other before they go to work. Um, and, and that's always kind of awkward a little bit. Yeah. This movie turns awkward conversations into an art form of its own. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have never been so uncomfortable by laughter ever. Oh my gosh. Oh, that scene is so good. Which one? There's like a dozen scenes. The people- one, the one where he's talking to, to Robert and his brother about robbing the bank and he talks about how he's going to sneak up behind the teller and slit his throat, but he oh. grabs Robert's head and holds the, holds the knife to his throat and he gets like super intense and then it just plays it off of like, oh, it's just a prank. Ha ha ha. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I guess that's sort of my issue with both like amazement and issue with the character Jesse James is that I never figured out in any scene he's in whether he's going to laugh at you or he's going to blow your head off. Yeah. It just, it was, it, 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 there's, there is such a level of tension every single time he's on screen. Yes. It, it, it just, it does kind of make the film a bit of a chore in a, in a good way though. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like he made a two hour and 40 minute movie out of the first scene of Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the only thing I like in Glorious Bastards, but yeah, it's a great scene. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, there was there were several scenes in that where I was like, oh man, this is very much like that movie. <laughs> yeah, every scene. Um, there was a there was another aspect I, I wanted to talk about, just which kind of builds off that, just how awkward everyone is. I, I had a thought, you know, people living in this time period rarely made outside of their their so, their social circles. And in modern times, as we grow up, we're we on social media, we got or we go to school, and so we're constantly banging into other people. And you know, our rough edges, our quirks, the things that make us look weird, because they kind of get knocked up against and brushed off as we get older. We we, we learn to be incredibly self conscious about how we're appearing to others. Mm-hmm. So and it, it just seemed like everyone in this film is so incredibly awkward. But I guess it makes sense for the time period. You know, they they don't they don't have that. They're not being constantly looked at by other people that don't know them. So that all of their quirks and rough edges would kind of stay that way till they're adults. Yeah, it's true. And like, you know, they, they grow up around those people yeah. for the most part, you know, their cross country travel was pretty new and pretty, you know, hard to, hard to do still. And, you know, a lot of them grew up on farms and when you're on a farm, how far away is your nearest neighbor? <laughs> um, you know, you 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 have schoolhouses, but they're really small. Um, and so I think everyone just kind of accepted that stuff a lot more. Um, but I thought the movie did a really good job of doing that. There's like the movie opens and, and it was it's really off putting, like the conversations they're having. They're really like gross. Um, but like I, I remember watching the movie and being like, oh, this is really gross. And then kind of clicking into, oh, it's kind of supposed to be like this is okay i'm supposed to be off put by this like it's not it's not even just like the guys being guys it's like no these are like kind of gross dudes like look at what they're doing first of all yeah um they don't feel the need to hide yeah yes exactly and yeah it was and that goes a long way to to make to making just how uncomfortable this film is to experience yes because even if they're not uncomfortable we're uncomfortable because when we are you know trained when people when people people don't act that weird nowadays in front of each other, and if they do, they're probably mentally ill, you know. 
because otherwise they would have learned, you know, to, to put up these walls, to put to kind of put up sort of a, fa- a facade of of, you know, what's acceptable in social interaction. Yeah. I mean, there's that scene where, you know, Robert Ford goes to the, the fancy pants governor's dinner and it's so awkward. He looks so out of place and like he's just acting like this huge like jerk the whole time. <laughs> But you kind of are like, oh, he doesn't, this isn't really his world. And then he like goes to approach the governor and he like immediately gets dragged out by the <laughs> the the security and he's like laughing while they're doing it. And also the governor is James Carville for some reason. What, 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 is, what else is he in? Uh, he's a senator. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's weird. Yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a senator from Georgia. Is he like a, an actual actor? No. Like a... Fred Thompson's the other guy, right? The, the, the congressman actor, is it? Um, Al Franken, I know that. Al Franken was on SNL. Huh. That, that is weird. Well, he, play, he played a good politician, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. James Carville is a... Yeah, he's a Democratic senator from Louisiana. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I know. Uh, the guy is a pretty popular actor, Fred Thompson. He's, an, he's a congressman. He's also acted in quite a bit. I think he recently passed away. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that, that I I don't know that I've ever seen a film that went so far to try and to try and bring that level of authenticity into it. Like like other films, I think of like authentic uh, movies. You know, like the uh, Master and Commander, or mm. maybe the the, tr- the Cohen's True Grit. But even those, they they still they still realize that we gotta like these people. <laughs> so they yeah. do seem to kind of brush they kind of shine the people up a bit and make their quirks more endearing than just disturbing. Yeah, it's true. It's it's you know, and and it's it's funny how the scenes where these guys are kind of with their quote unquote co-workers in the new James gang, they're kind of having to fill the silence with conversation, which leads to their disgusting conversation. But then <laughs> When they're with their family, that awkwardness is just kind of accepted as like, this is like, it's, it's, it's not weird because it's normal. Yeah. And this, the, the structuring of this film is so just interesting. Like w- mm-hmm. with the use of the narration, I, I'm still not sure what he was going for with the narration because it's not intended to be informative because usually Everything they say in the narration is like stated over again as soon as we get into the dialogue scenes. Yeah. So it's not, it's, it, it almost feels like this could have been a really good hour long documentary or a really good two hour long drama <laughs> that were overlapped with each other. It's an interesting That's, stylistic choice, but I, I'm not sure it should have been done. Yeah, I agree. I think they might be excerpts from the book. Um, the, the, the film is based off of a book. So I'm wondering if, if those came out of the book, um, it is kind of got, the movie does have kind of an everything but the kitchen sink approach to it. Mm. Um, which is why it's so long and so, uh, plotting. (laughs) Um, but I, I think, I think sometimes it really does work. Uh, and sometimes it really doesn't like the, the scene, the the opening narration for sure I think should have stayed in there of of just describing Jesse James mm-hmm. um, and and every you know it, it gives you details to look for over the course of the movie him hiding his you know nub middle finger um, the extra blinking that kind of stuff uh, and and it really is able to you know I, I like the way that those scenes are shot where it enters this almost dreamlike sequence of like this is the public jesse james this is how he's perceived mm-hmm. yeah it, it i i i when i was writing my notes i kept wanting to call them flashbacks because they feel like flashbacks <laughs> even though they're happening at present time yeah they're like very softly lit and sort of dreamy and there's just like a guy talking while stuff happens Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing they're not like most most dramas that have narration. There's usually like a character inside the film, but as you said, this they feel like kind of eggs are they feel like you're listening to an audiobook. It's very not I don't know stilted is the right word, but it's very uh like refined reading. Uh, obviously, reading a script, and like I I would have loved to see an hour long documentary 
shot by Roger Deakins with this guy narrating. That would have been <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Like a kind of experimental thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, man, that I didn't know I wanted that until right now. Maybe, I mean, not even necessarily with this subject again, but just something where, I mean, anything where Roger Deakins shoots the dramatizations, I'm probably going to see. But yeah, I think that combination could be very, you know, um, it it could be like the, the next step in that Ken Burns thing, right? You know, Ken Burns has these exhaustive documentaries with super detailed archives and archival footage and photos and stuff he's got that what is it like 12 hour baseball documentary plus the other 12 hours of supplemental episodes (laughs) um you know and and this huge sprawling thing about the history of jazz in america and i think something like that plus this guy narrating plus roger deacon's kind of shooting all the archival stuff would be uh great and exhausting Maybe if uh, Dom- if uh, if Dominic wasn't editing, maybe it would have been better. <laughs> so, Did he uh, edit? No, it? Or, or uh, no, he didn't edit. There were some other editors, but I'm, I oh. I can't imagine like being a, a an average editor <laughs> trying to trying to work with this director. Like every, like I I do a bit of editing. Like every instinct of my my as an editor is like screaming out uh, against this film. You know. Because it it does it breaks all the rules. Yeah, yeah. It's just like uh, let that silence hang. Let that silence hang. Let that silence hang. And it's like, uh, are you sure about that? <laughs> and it, it's interesting that this film never tries to be a thriller. It mm. it's like it it's like actively trying to make sure you are as spoiled as can be as far as what whatever events are going to come to pass. Yeah, yeah. It's true. I mean. That's the thing, though, when you name your movie The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, like, you know how, like, you know what the eventual endpoint has to be, who it's going <laughs> to happen to, and who does it. So there's, you know, there's already no mystery to what the eventual outcome is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess it just leaves me wondering, you know, what exactly is the point of this movie? Uh, like, what, what would you say if, if you were asked that question? Um, I think the point is that Andrew Dominic wrote a book that he really liked or read a book that he really liked and wanted to make a movie out of it. Um, but I think I think that along the way, what he did was he didn't try to make a thriller or a mystery. I think he tried to I think we touched on it earlier. I think he tried to make this movie about the nature of celebrity and how kind of strange that is. Um, and why it doesn't like why it's kind of bad (laughs) um ultimately (laughs) i i think that's that that may have been the point of it which is interesting because you know andrew dominic is still not a household name he's only got three films under his belt and that was his first one um so to really lock into what it's you know what that major theme of celebrity and how detrimental it can be to those in the public eye i think shows really good instincts mm. and yeah i i guess like, you would think that the title is also kind of a clue to deciphering the film because like the title is what the the title is the public's verdict mm-hmm. like history's verdict is, is what the title is and like the, the film doesn't even necessarily support the the, the final uh verdict that uh, you know we've been we've heard yeah that's just interesting yeah wow that's really good holy crap i wow yeah i really like that observation um yeah it's it's you know it it is about how kind of the public can act as you know judge jury and executioner before we know the full details but still be fascinated with those that we judge jury and execute um you know the the film goes on to show him successfully creating a play out of how he murdered Jesse James, but everyone hates this guy, but he's playing it. They say what? 800 times before he gives it up. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because at first they don't, you know, at first he is a true celebrity or like a true, like admired celebrity. Then it's kind of like over time, you know, as public, uh, uh, opinions like kind of wane and change that it becomes loathed. 
Yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, how I think it's this initial fervor of, oh, wow, you're the guy who killed Jesse James. Like no one, you know, they, they keep mentioning used to be no one could uh, sneak up on Jesse James. And, and that's the myth, right? That's the myth of Jesse James is that he he can't let anyone get the best of him. He's Jesse James. He gets the best of everyone 10 steps ahead of them trying to get the best of him. And then this guy does it and he's kind of this weirdo. And it's like, why is, why are you the one? And so there's this initial, like what let's find out about this guy. And that's what leads to him doing the play. And then as he keeps doing the play, it's like, this guy just kind of is bad. Like he's just kind of an unlikable mean-spirited jerk of a person and the tide turns on and he also shot it at our man in the back of the head that, that that's what he did yeah it's, yeah which you think he would want to spruce it up a little bit before going to stage you know maybe work it out a bit more because <laughs> it doesn't exactly paint him in a positive light and what is so odd is that he he thinks it would yes yeah and i think that 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 delivers on the whole premise of you know just how skewed his view of everything is like when we see him first meet jesse james he's just like talking about all the all the mythic stuff about him and how like oh man it's so great and jesse kind of shuts him down and he doesn't really know he's he kind of reacts like oh man i really thought that would work mm-hmm. yeah it, he seems to be a person who like who literally, you know, can't change, who can't evolve, you know, to fit the circumstances in. He can sort of slowly do it, but he's like, he can't do it fast enough, you know, to ever truly be accepted by society. He's always, yeah, even though he's able to sort of do what he thinks will get him accepted, no matter what he does, he's still just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's just weird. Yeah, he's just kind of behind the eight ball always, uh, but doesn't have, doesn't possess the cognitive reasoning to realize he isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. One thing, another thing I didn't care for is, I, I don't think this film treats his, his female characters terribly well. No, it doesn't. I didn't remember that. But man, I, like... At a certain point, I was like, can we get a woman to talk to in this movie? Like, this is, it's just so many dudes. <laughs> Even beyond that, the ones that are, like, does Mary Louise Parker get more than five lines? I don't know why she signed on for this movie. Yeah, she's a great actress. Like, I really like her. And I remember, I was I was looking it up on IMDb, and I was like, oh, Mary Louise Parker's in this. Like, what the, what the heck? Like, I don't remember that. And then it's, she's relegated to, like, Hanging out with some kids in the background for the whole movie. But I think that's why I think that's why I was like, can we get like a woman to come in and talk? Because they kept casting these really good actresses in it. And I would see them and be like, I like that actress. I want to know what she has to say in this, you know, like. And the only one that does get any type of characterization or screen time is cheating on her husband. (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of. And speaking of that, you know, you, you mentioned how this film seems to be very focused on, on uh, the perspective of of Robert and also his brother. But it does take some weird side turns with the character with the I forget, uh, the guy Wood and the guy the guy played, oh Dick Little yeah and, and yeah them too, which I think it might be trying to go for a sense of authenticity and uh, uh, really trying to stick to the history to explain every single step that led to this result by showing every single step of any guy that was even mildly like peripherally involved. It's like the entire like 15 minute sequence of Dick Little going to Wood's family and seducing his stepmother. It's just, it feels so irrelevant, even though it's sort of, tangentially matters because it's how wood got killed but still couldn't you have cut some corners maybe yeah i mean you definitely could have just been like because oh just had him show up and be like hey this is the guy that stole my stepmom from my dad like you could have just told us that for sure and i actually think that might have been made up because or at least wikipedia said that the fight was actually over um, the woman who who had she, she was there she was a uh, the Ford's relative somehow that she ran the kind of boarding house thing what was it oh okay 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember her name, the, but I know who you're talking about. What was her connection? About. She was, um, she was one of their moms, I thought. Or one of their sisters or something. Oh, yeah, something like, yeah, she was the sister, I think. Yeah, but the, uh, at least Wikipedia said that they're, they're, the Little and Woods confrontation where they eventually, you know, just started shooting at each other, point blank, point blank range, and not hitting each other was over, over her. Which makes that other that other thing so much weirder. Yes. Yeah. Well, the the movie is based off of uh, what's billed as a novel. Hmm. So it, that that is that very well could be the case. I'm not sure about all of the historical accuracy of it, um, but I think that goes to. I think that's even a deliberate choice too. Of you know, we're going to base this off of the novel version of it. That kind of has some made up stuff and not really let you in on the secret of what is and is not real unless you want to do the 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 legwork for yourself, um, because it lets you have the the legend of Jesse James cake and eat it, too, um, as that gets deconstructed, but still kind of have a little bit of that at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. And like even like Zoe Deschanel, did did you recognize her watching the movie? I I had no idea that was her. Like even looking at pictures afterwards, I just don't see her in that. Yes. Okay. So um, my wife came in for the last hour of this movie (laughs) Um, and uh, she got home from work and she was kind of working on her computer because she had missed, you know, over half the film at that point. And she was working on her computer in the same room. And I knew it was her because I was looking for her because I saw it. And I, I, I was, I, well, I didn't know it was her. I had to go to my wife for confirmation. I had to be like, is that Zoe Deschanel? <laughs> and then she started singing. And that was the giveaway for me um, is it was definitely her singing voice. But if she hadn't have been singing, I probably really wouldn't have recognized her. And then in the scene right after her on stage, it's her and Robert kind of talking on a hillside. And I said, I was like, that looks nothing like her. And my wife said that it did. (laughs) And I didn't believe her. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And like that would have been a chance to give, you know, a a female character, an actual, you know, character. Cause she's like the only person that actually cares about Robert Ford. Maybe she just wants his money. We don't know. But right. Even, even if you want to focus on Robert Ford, she could have been a, a way you know, to get into his character, but she, they don't even use her as that. I don't know. It's yeah. Kind of it just, it, it, like I said, I'm, I'm fine with them not having a ton of female characters, but what really made me want to see the perspective of some of them is they kept casting actresses whose work I've enjoyed at least a little bit in the past. Yeah. And it's like, what, okay, well, why is she there? Like, let me know what she has to do with this. Um, one thing that I actually, did like I, I i really liked that last half hour of the movie because well, yes. mainly be, because the film actually discovered pacing <laughs> in the last half hour there's actually a sense of momentum and you know inevitability even though the, the whole film has a sense of inevitability but this it, it felt like it knew where it was going like the rest of the film every scene i'm in i'm not entirely sure why we're here and I, I sometimes i don't even know after the scene is over why we saw that scene yeah but, after Jesse James is killed, it actually turns into a really absorbing uh, and you know, like film that moves. It's funny. People say Return of the King has a lot of endings. <laughs> this one yes. is insane. But I still I actually quite liked it. I really like that extra act that's kind of tacked on to the end. And tacked on sounds negative, but it's not. It's like really well done. It's this really great uh, kind of short film within the film. Um, and... Yeah, I just I just really like kind of seeing the aftermath of that and how far reaching it was. Um, it, it makes it makes the previous stakes uh, feel bigger than they seemed in the lead up to it. And mm-hmm. it it it, it kind of does do the 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 this kind of parallel mini version of what happened to Robert Ford a little or what happened to Jesse James a little bit in that. Robert Ford then becomes this huge celebrity that people are fascinated with, and then the public turns on him, and then he ends up getting assassinated. Quote yeah. unquote. Yeah, it's like this really fascinating de- like deconstruction of just how vulgar celebrity culture is in that in that last twenty minutes, and like that's why I'm talking about like this could have been such a fascinating documentary. Yeah, and, and 
I wonder if you could like take what's there and turn it into an act like a like a really hard punching character drama. Just because the thing is, I re- I re- respect the heck heck out of this film, but I don't know that I ever want to watch it again. Yeah, I totally get that, and and not because I was emotionally disturbed or I didn't like what I saw. Like or like, let's say like a Schindler's List, right? I just don't want to experience that again. This is a film. It, there's nothing like that here. It's just this movie's a chore. It, it really is. It really is. I didn't remember it being that much of a chore. Um, and I I like the film. I think I think it's really gutsy. I think it's a really gutsy movie, and I respect yeah. that. Um, I. You know, I just saw a movie recently um, that I felt the same way about, which is War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I won't go into too much detail on that, but I I felt at the end I was like, please tell me it pays better. Uh, (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) um, I mean, it's 20 minutes shorter. um, But yeah, I mean, that that movie that and watching this back to back nights kind of, too, because I watched uh, Jesse James on Tuesday and then war for the planet of the apes on wednesday um i was just like man i don't know how i ultimately feel about this film but i'm very fascinated by it and it's it's got this there's a richness to everything in that movie which which one the the apes are this both (laughs) um (laughs) okay (laughs) both uh there's there's a lot of things to consider in uh, uh both but we'll get back to jesse james there's a lot of things to consider and a lot of things to um, chew on and reckon with and i like that and it's 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 just like i said like really risky and gutsy and and doesn't like i feel like this feels like the movie andrew dominic wanted to make 100 percent. oh yeah and i like that but it's way too long it's got some really painfully awkward scenes in it it's got it's bolstered by really really great performances like it's 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 the sort of mixed bag that's not even necessarily greater than the sum of its parts, but it's so brassy and confident about it that you can't be like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- this, I, uh, whenever I talk about movies, you know, I try to think about, if I have a criticism, think about like, what would I would have done differently? What have done differently? And with this film is, this film is so much a product of this singular creator um that that you you almost like don't want to touch it cuz like you'd be violating it <laughs> but still like i i think there are ways that this film could have if keeping every bit of that very methodical kind of sad pacing while still moving a heck of a lot faster you know like Number one, I think I think if you, if you cut the narration, I, I I don't see exactly how the narration fits with the style he chose. Sure, it it, it works on the scenes it's in, but it just it, it does. Whereas every other aspect, including the awkwardness, feels one hundred percent a piece with the rest of the film. That just still sticks out. I wonder if that might be the only thing he ended up having to compromise on was the studio coming in and saying hey i don't we don't know that people are going to be able to follow this because it's very quiet it's very awkward it's very meticulous uh let's get some let's periodically throw some stuff in there that brings us up to speed um i i would have thought that's they would have wanted to cut just because it's so odd (laughs) well i think i think yeah i i think they they may have been like, fix this, and that's how he fixed it. And they were like, well, I guess so. <laughs> like this, it's almost this Blade Runner type thing, right? Where the theatrical cut Blade of Blade Okay, so the theatrical cut of Blade Runner has this narration running through it where they literally just say everything that either is going to happen in the next scene or just happened in the last scene. And it's it ruins that movie for me, man. Like, uh, obviously, there's different cuts of Blade Runner, um, so you can you can watch narrationless cuts of the movie, and they're actually much better, even though I don't like the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this might may have had the same problem because, like, when Ridley Scott took Blade Runner to the studio, they were like, "What is happening?" Like, because it's so different than anything that had come out up to that point mm-hmm. that they were like, "We got like we have no frame of reference for this at all." 
So he went and kind of over explained it. And I don't think that the the narration really over explains it because the title does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that, that it may be a thing that where they kind of put it in there to almost foolproof the movie. Okay, which brings me to another complaint, is that I've never seen a least informative narration. <laughs> because <laughs> even I, there were so many times in this film where I was just like, I don't know what I'm watching. Like, who the hell is Jim Cummins? Does the film ever, sh- does he ever appear on the film? I don't think so. So th- they spend a half hour hunting Jim Cummins. I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. Yeah, they're why just they like- want him or what he's done. It was really frustrating for a film that is so slow, so talky, and has narration, and I can't follow the plot. Yeah, it's true. It's 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 this weird thing where you hear his name a bunch, and you know that, like, Dick Little and Jim Cummins have this plan to go and catch Jesse James. And so Jesse James kind of gets wind of it however he does. That's, like, the one mythic thing they hold on to Jesse James for, is he's got these this almost precognitive sensibility of when people are out to get him and what people are out to get him and how they're going to go about getting him. So he goes on this mission to find Jim Cummins and like he beats his cousin basically after death. Who's like a kid. Um, And that's kind of how that resolves because (laughs) then Dick Little goes with Wood and steals his stepmom and then that chain of events happens. Like, it's it's this very fruitless effort. Mm. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we just kind of move into our f- final closing thoughts? Um, no, I'm good, man. Okay, uh, you, you want to start? Just what sure. you want to leave the audience with? Yeah. Um, I've kind of already said it, but it's... It, Assassination of Jesse James is a really fascinating, really uncompromising um, vision from a creator that it's got really good performances. It's really well made, um, but it is very slow. It's very long. It's very awkward. Uh, It can be brutal in some scenes, um, but it's not overly violent. But it's I think the reason I chose it and, and what really stuck with me and still sticks with me is just how much uh how much there is to chew on at the end of it you know it's 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 got a lot going on and some of it works and some of it doesn't but it's so here i am take me as i am doing this that it's it's hard to really uh completely disavow it that mm-hmm. being said it is not for everyone <laughs> I, I was sh- when I went to Rotten Tomatoes. I, w- I was shocked that the uh, audience ranking is actually right there with the critics. I expected it to be so much lower. Really? But I- I'm guessing it's because no one sees it unless they're one of those weird film buffs who really, <laughs> who sought it out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um. I I do. I guess I do like the film. It's one. I think people should watch it. You know, both just for the incredible performances for Deacon's insane cinematography. And just, you know, as a lesson in alternative ways of, you know, create, creating scenes and, you know, just crafting awkwardness, I guess. You know, just, and uh, you know, and allowing things that are uncomfortable to watch to just play out without having to jump in and, you know, say, just kidding or, or whatever. But, yeah, it also, I think, functions as a lesson to filmmakers of... Maybe there are times where you should maybe compromise your vision just a little bit to, so that this isn't a chore <laughs> for audiences. Because there comes a time where maybe you just think the director maybe just has nothing but disdain for whoever's watching it. And that's never a good feeling to have because it usually doesn't make me very much very charitable towards your film. That's fair. That's fair. And I think that's the reason why, I mean, so Andrew Dominic's career is this movie Killing Them Softly, which he reteamed with Brad Pitt for, and Brad Pitt produced both those movies. And then um, Once More with Feeling, which is a Nick Cave concert film, uh, and they're clearly buddies since he did the score for Assassination of Jesse James and cameos in the film. Uh, so I, th- I think 
Didn't he have one previously? Um, I'm not sure. Oh yeah, it was one called Chopper with a Eric Bale. Oh. oh yeah, I know that movie. He did that. Yeah, huh. I never saw it, but I, I, I'm familiar with it. Huh. Um. So okay, so four movies, but and the, that Nick Cave one is the. I mean, it, it took five years for four or five years for him to come out with another movie after killing him as awfully. And cause I think it was 2012 is when that movie came out. I could be wrong about that. Um, mm-hmm. is it 2012? Uh, yeah, 2007 is this one. 2012 is killing himself. The best of the yeah. So it's, you know, it, 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 he has a hard time getting movies made and it's a little understandable, but I like the movies I've seen with him. Um, you know, and that Nick Cave movie really only got made because it was a tie-in with his upcoming album. Huh. Yeah, he, he has two films in development, which who knows which way that could go. Yeah, because I think both this and Killing Them Softly bombed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did, and this did well with critics, and Killing Them Softly did not at all. Yeah, it was like Killing Them Softly had a 15 million dollar budget as well, or actually, yeah, but it actually made 37 million, so I guess it didn't hurt the studio just never made anything yeah it got it got a wider release because i remember assassination of jesse james never played in my town and killing them softly did i didn't see it when it was in theaters but um it, i remember it played here mm-hmm. yeah brad pitt's production company has a really interesting track record at least they're definitely trying to go for these odd character films yeah and i appreciate that i i uh i forgot he was a producer on it but when i saw the plan b logo i was like oh that makes sense also produced by uh scott free oh yeah yeah the mm-hmm. the, the scott brothers production company which yeah uh, surprised me mm-hmm. yeah so i guess <laughs> back to my closing thoughts uh yeah this it's it, it, i do recommend it just if you if if you're a film buff i mean i don't think anyone who's not a film buff would have the mildest interest in watching this movie, yeah. but just if nothing else, see Roger Deakins cinematography, see the performances. Um, Casey Affleck is incredible. And uh, like Brad Pitt's kind of hit and miss for me, but I think he is excellent here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a very, and just a, a fascinating film. Cause there are a lot of fascinating themes to pick through and, and, and just to examine, just thinking about how we treat celebrities and all that, like the last half hour, I think is really fascinating. Um, but uh, yeah, just I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like going to a thrift store, right? Like sometimes like there are certain you'll be digging and be digging and be like, this is crap. This is crap. This is crap. This is really cool. But then when you leave the thrift store, you're kind of like, oh, I'm a little bit glad I did that. Like, that was a fun way to kill some time. I mean, the movie's not that fun to watch. But, but you know, you come out the other side and you're like, oh, that was like a worthwhile um, use of my time. If I'm just like, you know, if, if, if that was my intent. You know, if my intent is to go to a thrift store, when I leave a thrift store, I'm usually satisfied because I saw some lame stuff and some weird stuff and some cool stuff. And then I left. And that's kind of how Assassination of Jesse James is. If your intent is to watch this film, then uh, you're going to there's it kind of runs the gamut of being a real mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up in thrift stores. So I'm not sure I get that part. <laughs> I like thrift stores. OK, uh, <laughs> I do, too. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, that so that was our review of uh, this uh, movie with an obscenely long name. I'm not going to say it again. Uh, we hope you enjoyed <laughs> it again. If, if you did, I'd like to ask you to please. Uh, leave us a glowing review on iTunes. Um, and if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at underrated underscore pod. And if you want to find other episodes, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. And uh, thanks for coming on, MJ. And I want to give you one more chance to plug whatever uh, you might be a part of. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this, is a, this is a good discussion. I'm really glad this discussion went this way. Um, because I, I'm watching it, I was like, ah, oh, man, I feel like everyone's going to straight up hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt that way a couple times too, maybe. Actually, yeah. I, think, I think I do like it just a bit more, you know, talking to you. Like, this is a film you, you kind of have to have someone to talk to about just because the way it leaves you. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, you can find me at the Before and After Show. That's our Facebook page. Um, that's where all my podcasts and YouTube channel stuff gets uh, filtered through. So like that, you can follow me on Twitter at MJSmith891. And that's how you'll get all the things from me. Um, all the writing, all the podcasts, all the YouTube. Uh, Twitter is kind of my main thoroughfare for that um so yeah i have the before and after show podcast which is every thursday i have the real perspective show which is every other friday and i have writing at wordofthenerd.com and keithlovesmovies.com that's k-e-i-t-h lovesmovies.com um so next week is will be my pick and i will be reviewing disney's uh, the hunchback of notre dame which oh, man, i haven't seen that movie in forever I only recently saw it, and I've only seen it once, so I, I can't say for sure, but I think it might be my favorite uh, 2D animated film, so I'm really wow. excited to talk about that. Yeah, uh, we hope you enjoy this episode, and we will see you later. Bye, everybody. Beata Maria, you know I am a righteous man. Of my virtue I am justly proud. Beata Maria, you know I'm so much purer than the common, vulgar, weak, licentious crowd. Then tell me, Maria, why I see her dancing there, why her smoldering eyes still scorch my soul. I feel her, I see her, the sun caught in her raven hair is blazing in out of all control like fire hell fire this fire in my skin this burn